And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Alan Renshaw. And Alan Renshaw writes, I saw some statements made by Chloe Zhao in which she seemed to indicate that she was interested in doing a Star Wars movie. This sounds great, and I would love to see her direct a movie in the next trilogy. What are your thoughts? All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yes, of course, for those of you who don't know, and I'm sure most of you guys do, Chloe Zhao is, say with me, the reigning, <laughs> defending world's uh, best director. She is the defending uh, best director Oscar winner. Of course, she won for Nomadland, one of the best films I've seen in years. She's absolutely incredible. And of course, she's got that little Marvel movie. I don't know if you've heard of it, Rob, called The Eternals. That's coming yes. out shortly. We're all very, very excited about it. And of course, she is simply one of the hottest names uh, in directing right now, everybody's excited. I mean, Kevin Feige has been just gushing about Chloe Zhao since she started making Eternals. He's even said he thinks Eternals is going to be a best picture contender and all this kind of stuff. Well, in doing some media build up for Eternals, uh, the guys over at Empire, and that's a great outlet, Empire. The guys over at Empire, in hearing her talk about Eternals and stuff like that and all the buildup, they noticed that she kept on kind of referencing Star Wars a lot. So at some point, the reporter for Empire just broke it down and said, listen, you've mentioned Star Wars like five or six times here. Are you ever going to direct a Star Wars film? This is what she said. She said, hmm, I have to tread very carefully with what I say here. Yes, let's just say it's a world I have so much reverence for because it was such an important part of my life. So in asking if she would ever want to do a Star Wars film, she first says, I have to be very careful with what I say. Let's just say it's a world I have a lot of reverence for because it was such an important part of my life. That comes to us from Chloe Zhao, as asked by the folks over there at uh, Empire. Listen, the most important person involved with any film, and there are many important people and many important roles involved with film, but the most important one is always the director. That's where it starts and finishes with. That's where the blame gets laid. That's where the glory gets heaped, is, is at the director. When you have a great director in the chair, every movie has a chance. Every movie has a chance when you have a great director in the chair. Rob, I imagine that's why William Shatner accepted being in Free Enterprise, because they had a great director in the chair. Yeah, we just had to pay him. Or pay him, you know, one of the two. But you always have a better chance. You have a great chance when you start off with a great director in the chair. And, you know, for obviously for me, my last Star Wars note of Star Wars visions, notwithstanding it ended a little bit sour with obviously with the rise of Skywalker, which I did not like at all, but you know, the, the concept to me, Rob, I gotta say, I gotta say, dude, the concept to me, cause you know how much I love Nomadland. Like yeah. I, I went bananas for, like I watched that movie and I just couldn't believe I saw that level of character and storytelling. You know, I, I just, I was so enraptured with it. I absolutely adored it. It made me 10 times more excited for Eternals. Yep. The notion, the idea that a Chloe Zhao could be directing a Star Wars feature film at some point, I'm not going to lie to you, Rob. It makes it move a little bit. It makes it move a little bit. 
I'm a little bit excited about this notion. Uh, maybe even quite a bit. And the way she even played on the words, like, oh, okay, um, do I want to direct a Star Wars film? All right, I have to be very careful how I answer this. Uh, I don't know if she hasn't already been talking to people. I mean, look, I don't want to get ahead of this too much. I mean, f- who knows what. But listen, if they came out and said that Chloe Zhao was going to be directing a Star Wars film, I would freaking fry a wire. I mean, I would be so damn excited. I can't even put it into words. Anyway, Rob, you heard Chloe Zhao's uh, comments here. Number one, what would you think of a Chloe Zhao stepping into a galaxy far, far away and trying to do a Star Wars film? And number two, you know, trying to play detective and putting on your overreaction hat. Reading her comments, do you think that maybe that's something that might be in the cards? How do you see it? Well, first of all, I mean, you have, like you said, the reigning defending champion for best director in the world who just finished a Marvel film for Disney, the parent company that owns Star Wars. And I don't think it's too big of a leap to say that if if Kevin Feige feels as he does about Eternals, if that's actually the case, because I think the Eternals, I don't think we know what we're going to get. I think it's going to be a much more, they've shown us like with Shang-Chi, very little of the movie. And I think that what it's really about and the impact it's going to have on viewers has only been hinted at. And if if what I suspect is true, I, I'm sure that somebody said to her, uh, we would really like you to stay on board and do a Star Wars film for us. Uh, I mean, I, I can't imagine that conversation wasn't had, um, especially you, you're the best director and you've made a film that people seem to really respect. It's it's and I'll bet you they I'll bet not only does she, is she probably going to make a Star Wars movie, I bet it was her idea about what kind of a movie it is. I bet she pitched him the same way she pitched on Eternals. And they they liked what she was saying. And, and they they because she's a visionary director. And so I would say probably faux show is she going to do a Star Wars movie. Now, I was going to bring something up, but in the live chat, talking Star Wars kind of stole my thunder a little bit. But I'll, I'll throw this out here, too. You know, there's another Marvel guy who's working on a Star Wars film. And I'm not talking about Taika Waititi, but I'm talking about Kevin Feige. Yep. And just saying, when you hear how much Feige has been gushing about Chloe Zhao and her, you know, aptitude as a director and all that kind of stuff, and he's got a Star Wars film that he's going to be producing. And now Chloe Zhao, I mean, could we see Chloe Zhao directing the Kevin? I mean, it would seem to make sense, right? Like, is this as, yeah. a, as an A connects to B sort of thing, right? That she would direct Kevin Feige's produced Star Wars film? I, I would absolutely say, I mean, wouldn't you do that? <laughs> Especially if it's like, you know, from a business perspective, if Eternals is as good as Kevin Feige says it is, I would assume. And, and because that was, as we know, Chloe Zhao pitched him on her idea or, or her vision and they went with that. I, I would think it was a natural. I'm sure probably Kevin Feige said to her at one point, hey, do you have any interest in doing a Star Wars movie? I mean, it just that's that's just good business. Yeah. And and we'll we'll see how good Eternals is, because I'm going to see it on October 18th. I'm seeing it in what is Dude, it? 12 I'm, days from now. I'm jelly, buddy. Jelly. Woo! 12 days from now. We'll see. Was uh, was Nomadland a fluke for Chloe Zhao? Was it just the beginning of the peak of her brilliance? We'll find out. Question is for you guys. What do you think about the idea of Chloe Zhao the writing, uh, directing 
a Star Wars movie. And of course, we're just guessing. We're pulling it completely out of our ass that it might be Kevin Feige's movie or whatever. But I mean, what would you guys, how would you feel about that? Whatever your thoughts are, jump down to the comment section below and leave your thoughts there. Okay, guys. With that down, let's move into main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Morris Halls, who writes, Hey, John. So, Joaquin Phoenix was just recently interviewed and talked about the chances of a Joker sequel, and it sounds like it's something he's more than willing to do. I know the original intention of Joker was to be a single standalone movie, but with all the success, the willingness of the director and the star to do another one, why hasn't a sequel been greenlit already? All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, Morris. And listen, the whole idea about will there be another Joker movie has been very front and prominent in all the movie discussions going on lately. Because look, the first one, like Morris points out in the email, the first one was conceived of, designed, and executed to be a single standalone movie. It was meant to be a one-shot story, a what-if, if you will, or in a DC's you know, case, an Elseworlds, if you will. That's what it was kind of meant to be. It was never meant to be a franchise. It was never meant to have a sequel. That was never part of the plan. Well, guess what? When you win Oscars and your little movie gets nominated for Best Picture and your lead actor wins the Academy Award for Best Lead Actor, oh, and by the way, your movie makes a billion dollars at the box office. It's all well and good to say we planned it as a one-shot. There's going to be other discussions to start happening. There's going to be other conversations around the executive offices that's going to start happening. Now, we talked a while ago about the fact that, of course, the director of the film said, yeah, I could be open to that. I could be open to that. But the question, the one thing that's always kind of hinged on, though, is Joaquin Phoenix. Joaquin Phoenix is notoriously extremely finicky and picky about the projects he will and won't do. And especially when it comes to franchises or sequels. I mean, Rob, we already know he infamously kind of decided to walk away from being Doctor Strange because he didn't want to sign up for a franchise. Right. He wanted, you know, he likes to do interesting stories with interesting characters. That's what he likes to do. So, great. Warner Brothers would clearly like to do another Joker. The director would like to do another Joker. But what about Joaquin Phoenix? Well, he might be on board too. When asked about it directly... This is what Joaquin Phoenix just said. He said, I mean, I don't know. From when we were shooting, we started to, you know, um, this is an interesting guy. There are some things we could do with this guy and could explore further. But as to whether we actually will, I don't know. So once again, Joaquin Phoenix says, I mean, I don't know. From when we were shooting, we started to, you know, um, this is an interesting guy. There are some things we could do with this guy and could explore further. But as to whether we actually will, I don't know. Okay, so that comes to us directly from Academy Award winner Joaquin Phoenix. I, To me, this is the most interesting development. Even though this may not sound like a lot, it may not seem like a lot, This one comment from Joaquin Phoenix to me illustrates the most interesting development in the whole, you know, saga about whether or not there's going to be a Joker 2. Because I've always believed, Rob, that he was going to be the one holdup point. I always felt that. And these comments to me 
sound in as much as Joaquin Phoenix can sound like this. This sounds to me for the first time really affirmed that, yeah, he's totally up to do this. Again, if they come back to him with a good idea for it, they're going to do it. So, Rob, I'll tell you what, hearing these comments from, from Joaquin Phoenix to me makes me go from, I think there's a chance they could do a joke or two to, I will be surprised if they don't. I mean, yeah, there was the billion dollars. Yeah, there was the Academy Awards. Yeah, but there was the one wild card factor there with Joaquin Phoenix. It sounds to me like he's willing to do it. And if that's the last hurdle to cross, I think in the, within the next two years, I think before the end of 2023, this is just a guess, of course, but I think we'll get an official announcement that they're going to move forward with the Joker too. Anyway, Rob, you hear Joaquin Phoenix's comments. How seriously do you take them? Do you think they're you know all that important in this conversation? And and what does it do to your expectation level about whether or not we're going to get a Joker too? Well, like you, I mean, from a business standpoint, that movie did not cost very much and it made over a billion dollars. It's an extremely profitable film. And Joaquin Phoenix won an Academy Award for Best Actor. And I would think that simply from a business standpoint, it makes sense to do a joke or two. But I would think that, you know, on the other hand, Joaquin Phoenix also seems to me to be somebody who's a man of conviction. And I don't think I don't think if you threw a bunch of money at him, he's just going to do another sequel. Like he's not going to do Highlander 2, The Quickening. He ain't. No. And that the, the Godfather, the Godfather 2 is what he's looking for. And and that kind of a caliber. And if they could come up with a story for Joker 2 that has, I mean, I use that metaphorically. I don't think they're going to make a movie like The Godfather 2 about, you know, showing him as a baby or anything like that. I I, I mean, that kind of quality. And if they come up with a storyline that could be compelling enough, I mean, I, I mean, obviously, Joker was a zeitgeist film. If they came up with an idea like that, I think he probably would do it. But he would want to make sure that, that, um, it has integrity and it has meaning before he's going to do it. I, I don't think he's the kind of guy that you could back a Brinks truck truck up to him and he's just going to do anything. Yeah, he seems like the kind of guy who's like, he's already got more money than he's ever going to be able to spend in his lifetime. So yeah. he's like, he can just be very, very picky about what, what he wants to do. Question is for you guys, what do you think about Joaquin Phoenix's comments here? To me, this really pushes me over the edge to thinking Joker 2 is a possibility to, yeah, I think it's going to happen. What about you guys? How do you see it? Jump on down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's move on to our third and final main topic here today. And our third main topic today gets submitted to us by... Reptar John, who writes, Hey, John, I was wondering what you think No Time to Die might make for the opening domestic weekend. I have looked at the seats available to purchase in a couple of different theaters around me, and I noticed that they are almost full. I'm expecting big numbers, anywhere from 85 million to 90 million. All I know for sure is that it's going to be a good weekend for the box office uh, with Venom and No Time to Die. Thanks. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, Reptar. And listen, the whole idea and the projections about what James Bond No Time to Die may or may not make at the box office when it opens up here this weekend has been in flux. And I've had to personally reassess where I personally think it'll come in because after Venom 2 came out, which we talked about the other day, after Venom 2 came out, 
and not only destroyed the pandemic era record with opening to $90 million, it opened with more money than the original Venom did, which was not in a pandemic era. And it became the second biggest October opening in the history of cinema, only behind, Rob, the Joker, which we were just talking about. That's the only other October released movie in history that has made more money in opening weekend than Venom. And Rob, you and I discussed, it's like, well, this guy kind of makes us have to reassess what we think James Bond No Time to Die is going to do. Mm-hmm. That's a long film. But I came around to saying, you know what? I'm now thinking maybe $100 million. Maybe it can be the first $100 million film. And it looks like there are some industry people that agree because right now, they're saying that No Time to Die is tracking to hit $100 million opening weekend. Now, just because it's tracking at that, that doesn't necessarily mean it will. It could come in at 105. It could come in at 92. I mean, whatever. But right now, they're saying they're tracking is at No Time to Die hitting $100 million. Now, $100 million would be incredibly relevant for two big reasons. Big reason number one, it would break the record that's currently being held in the pandemic era of Venom 2 for a $90 million opening, which I guess then Venom 2 would become, would break a new record for the shortest held record. <laughs> Venom 2 got to hold the record for one week. Uh, yeah. So we'd see no time to die doing that. But Rob, here's the other thing. And this is something that I don't hear people talking about. If right now, October, the weekend of October 8th, 9th, 10th, whatever, if No Time to Die hits $100 million in still a pandemic recovery era, it would be not only the biggest opening since Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker, it would become the number one all-time October opening in history, beating Joker. It would also become the biggest opening weekend for any Bond film in history. The current record for an opening weekend domestically for a Bond film is uh, Skyfall that opened at $88 million. $88 million. And that movie went on to make a billion dollars. But Skyfall opened at $88 million. If No Time to Die can actually become the first film since 2019 to open to $100 million, it would be the new pandemic era record holder. It would be the biggest October opening in the history of cinema. And it would be the biggest opening for Bond ever. All in a theatrical environment that people said theaters were dead. Nobody wanted to go to the movies anymore. Uh, This would be fascinating. So the question becomes, can it? So Rob, I guess I pose these two questions to you. How significant would it be if Daniel Craig in his final outing as Bond and No Time to Die could actually hit that $100 million mark? That's number one. Number two, what do you see as the actual chances are that it could hit that numbers? How do you see that? Well, <clears throat> if you look at the last two Bond openings, Skyfall opened at eighty-eight million three hundred thousand and change. Uh, Spectre opened at seventy million uh, four hundred thousand and change, and that was during a non-pandemic time. So, the last two Bond films, one of which Skyfall was the biggest-grossing film of all the the entirety of the franchise. You know, it. I don't think Bond necessarily is going to hit a hundred million. However, being that this is the last Daniel Craig film, being that it is it is a pandemic and much has been made of the fact this film has been delayed, 
I think there's an extra added hype or marketing element to this. And I think that it's generated kind of a, uh, an enthusiasm amongst movie going audiences that this film is going to deliver something that they've been craving. I mean, it's not like we haven't been getting good stuff lately, but I do think that, that this film could be that movie. I think it could be the biggest grossing opening of the franchise domestically here. And, uh, I think it might make a hundred million dollars, John. I do. I think it might, but it's not a sure thing. It's the longest bond film. You know, we'll see how many, how, how many screenings they can do during the day or how many extra screens they add. But I, I think if any bond movie could break a hundred million, this could talk for a minute about then if it does, if it does talk about, the legacy that leaves for bond like what especially considering the current circumstances and the environment of the theatrical industry right now in in hindsight about the all-time it would make it the biggest october opening in history that it would be the biggest bond like talk about if it can hit that what does that mean number one for the legacy of this film specifically but maybe even for the legacy of daniel craig as bond well you know yesterday was james bond day and it, it celebrated the first James Bond movie was released in 1962. Dr. No came out yesterday, but in 1962. And the fact that this franchise, this is the 25th official Bond film. It's the oldest running franchise. It has survived from the 60s to the 70s to the 80s to the 90s in deep into the aughts now, 21 years into the new millennium. And I, I think this is, this is one of the most endearing and enduring franchises that exist. And I think what's really cool about the Bond franchise, John, is every generation has had their Bond, you know, and, and Daniel Craig's been around for 15 years. So there's been people that he's the only Bond they've ever known. Certainly the only Bond that, that uh, they saw in theaters. And what I loved, like my first Bond in a the theater was Spy Love Me and it was Roger Moore. And I love Bond on, on TV. So Bond has become sort of an interesting pop culture icon. And I think if this movie were to come out, it's also the most expensive James Bond movie, Roaring Back. Uh, it, it really does signify that that we've come through a pandemic, that people are 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 they're willing to embrace their their heroes again, go out to the movie theaters, and maybe it signifies not only that the James Bond franchise is as different as it's ever been. Um, but also that people are are coming out of this this pandemic. So James Bond might not just be a hero on screen, but maybe he's a hero that coming out of the last almost two years now, we can look at and and maybe in, instead of just saving the world, he's saved all of us, John. <laughs> we'll and, see. And of course, I mean, I, I want to point one other thing out, too. This is something from an article over at CNBC, and they raise a really interesting point as well. Um, and they write this. Uh, no Time to Die is poised to do something no other major blockbuster has been able to accomplish since the coronavirus pandemic began. Top $100 million in ticket sales during its opening weekend. No Time to Die is perfectly positioned to build on Venom's momentum, said Sean mm. Robinson, chief analyst at BoxOffice.com. Currently, 2012 Skyfall holds the record for the highest grossing opening in a Bond film with $88 million in domestic ticket sales. According to data from Comscore, the movie is also the only Bond film to top a billion dollars. But the interesting thing, there's the middle part there that, that the analyst from boxoffice.com had to say, this is going to be building on the momentum of Venom. And Rob, I, I kind of see that pattern, not just Venom, but when you start by looking at Free Guy 
and you saw mm -hmm. what Free Guy was able to do. And then building on, standing on those shoulders and building on top of that was Shang-Chi and what Shang-Chi was able to accomplish. Then we saw Venom be able to come out and build on that momentum and then maybe rolls in this. Rob, we talked for, for over a year and a half now that before theaters get back to normal, we're going to have to see people starting to get introduced back to the theater again. It's going to be a slow process of getting people to come back in. But once they come back in and they have a good time and they see a movie they enjoy, say Free Guy, then okay, this next interesting one's coming out. What's, what's that? Shang-Chi? That looks like fun. Okay. Then they come back. And then Venom comes out and they come back. And each step of the way, you gain momentum and new people coming back in. Man, I, I honestly didn't think that this quickly, because you know I've been guessing low for the box office results for the movies in October. I didn't think it would happen this quickly. But I mean, if Bond could actually hit $100 million and become the biggest October opening in history and the biggest Bond opening in history, I think that speaks a lot about that process and, and the momentum that they've been able to carry. I totally agree with you. I mean, you know, people people love movies, John, and, and nothing can... Nothing can can substitute going to a, a big theater with big sound and sitting in a in a crowded theater and feeling the response of the audience. You know, that's what I'm looking forward to. I'm going to see No Time to Die on the biggest screen with the biggest sound system with it's a fan event tonight. And I don't think people had forgotten, you know, you can stream all you want and that's fine. But when you go see a movie on the big screen and it's presented with great projection and great sound, man, there's nothing better than that. And on that, you know, uh, David McKeezy in the live chat said says something very, uh, uh, very notable here that I was going to kind of go towards, which is on this issue of the momentum building, could Dune be a big beneficiary of this kind of momentum? Could Dune really benefit from this? I mean, look, the reality is Dune is still facing something that Free Guy, Shang-Chi, and James Bond don't have to deal with. And that's a backstabbing studio that put their, puts their movies out on day and daily release on HBO. We saw what happened to the Suicide Squad. We saw what just happened to the Many Saints of Newark. I mean, so we saw that. Dune is unfortunately going to have to deal with that unfortunate fate as well. But even though Dune is opening on HBO Max at the same day, do you think this momentum could benefit it as well? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I think that, again, you know, people that when you have a great experience in the movie theater, you you want to continue to have a great experience. And I think what's really interesting is, you know, between Free Guy, which was an original IP, Shang-Chi, which is part of the, the MCU, uh, Venom MCU, this James Bond, and then Dune, which is of course a reinterpretation of Frank Herbert's novel. We're getting we're getting the big spectacles, but they're all sort of different. You know, I mean, Venom is even though it's a Marvel in the Marvel family, it's very different than Shang Chi, which is very different than Free Guy. You know, which is different than Bond, and certainly different than Dune. We also have Halloween Kills. You've got One Night in Soho coming out. Edgar Wright's new movie. And this month is just, I think, collectively, like our viewer pointed out, it's creating a momentum that is sort of bringing us all back to maybe our love affair with movies, which I think is great. And the, and the theater, specifically the theatrical experience of movies. All right. Question is for you guys. 
What do you think about these projections we're seeing? Bond right now is being projected. It may hit it. It may not. But right now, the projections are saying Bond is going to hit $100 million, which would represent the biggest opening since Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker, the biggest October opening in the history of cinema, and the biggest opening for any Bond film in history. How significant do you think that is? Whatever you guys think, jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, we still got Rob here for a few more minutes. So let's jump on over and start taking some of your live comments and questions, shall we? And of course, we told you guys, if you'd like to get a live comment or question on the show or an upcoming companion video, simply use the tip link that's down in the description of the video below, or you can enter it in manually. All right, Rob, let's just jump on over to this here. We're going to start off today's live questions with one from Safety C who writes, Hey, John and Rob, with Daniel Craig, who is no longer James Bond, uh, who would you like to see as the new Bond? Dan Hardy, Henry Cavill, Idris Elba, or do you have somebody else in mind? I would like to see Idris in a Bond trilogy. Well, you know, safety on this show, I, I don't do X actor and X role things, but I will say this, Rob, and I've said this for a while. There is a universal poetry to the idea of Henry Cavill as James Bond because Henry Cavill was the runner-up to play Superman in Superman Returns. That role ultimately went to Brandon Routh, who I think did a fantastic job in the role. I thought Brandon Routh was great. Even though Henry would then later on get the role of of Superman anyway to become my all-time favorite Superman. In the same vein, Daniel Craig got the role of James Bond for Casino Royale. You know who it was going to be if it wasn't Daniel Craig? This young actor by the name of Henry Cavill was going to be the new James Bond. And especially after, Henry's become one of my favorite actors, and especially after seeing him in Man From U.N.C.L.E., um, I think he would be a terrific James Bond. So the only reason I'll, I'll give a pick here of Henry Cavill is, again, because of that universal poetry of it all. He was the runner-up for Superman, then became Superman. He was the runner-up for Bond. I'd like to see him become Bond. I, Rob, do you have a current favorite, Rob, right now, in, in, the, in the bookie-making in your head about who you think could be the next Bond? Well, I think Henry Cavill would be a perfect bomb, but I also, you know, people talked about Tom Hardy who, who could do the role bring up, but I'm a fan of Richard Madden who played Rob Stark, obviously in game of Thrones. And he was in bodyguard, which was an excellent BBC series. And he's after all Scottish in real life, which the character of bond, you know, obviously has a Scottish legacy there. And uh, I like Richard Madden. He's only 35 years old. So, with, like, Idris Elba's 49, and obviously Daniel Craig's stint as Bond lasted 15 years. And if Madden was going to do four or five films, you know, he could certainly grow into the role and be seasoned doing it. Um, and I once heard that Barbara Broccoli liked him, but again, Henry Cavill, Tom Hardy, even Tom Hiddleston. You know, Tom Hiddleston has a debonair quality to him. He could probably do a more Roger yeah. Moore-esque Bond. But, um Yeah. By the way, I should mention this. So Richard Madden, in that interview with Chloe Zhao where they were doing press for Eternals, Richard Madden was there as well. And he was directly asked, hey, man, what about you as Bond? And all he said was no comment. All he said was no comment. That's the Now, by the way, you know who the odds maker right now are saying is the lead, the favorite to become the next Bond? That dude, I can't, I've never been able to pronounce his name, but the dude from Bridgerton, Roger something, oh, yeah. something, something. A lot mm-hmm. of people are talking about him. Look, I, 
I, I watched like one episode of Bridgerton, so I have no idea if this dude can act or not. I have I have no idea. But he, man, he he looks he looks the part of a James Bond. I'll, oh I'll, yeah, I'll give a, a Regé Jean, Jean or something like that. Anyway, so a lot of options there. Okay, next up, uh, we've got Jason from Prescott writes. Uh, no movie questions today. Just writing to let you know, uh, I contacted Zevia. They said, unfortunately, we're not looking for any additional partnerships at the moment. Thank you for your interest and support. I tried, John. Give my regards to Anne and bring in the filthy. <laughs> I have had many people, don't laugh. I have had many people write to me to say they reached out to Zevia to say, you got to sponsor this show. And they've <laughs> always given that same response. Unfortunately, we're not looking for any additional partnerships at the moment, blah, blah. That is why they are insufferable sons of bitches. F you Zevia. Dude, I'm drinking it right now. You got me stuck on this stuff. And I got to tell you, their ginger root beer, this stuff is, it is just addictive. Yeah. If I could dry this out, and turn it into some powder, I would snort this all day. It's that good. It's I, I'd say F those guys, except I'm so freaking addicted to drinking their stuff. Man, dude, let's have another. Let's have some more. F you, Zevia. No, no, excuse me while I go get some more Zevia. So, yeah, anyway. Uh, that's totally me right now. All right, next up. Let's see. Christopher uh, Rosado writes one of two. Hey, John, I know we're all excited about Spider-Man No Way Home and about all the rumored people who will appear, but I really don't understand why everyone is thinking Daredevil will show up. I mean, I do because they think Peter needs a lawyer. But do you forget that the MCU already has a lawyer who is getting their own show and that's She-Hulk? It would make more logical it would make more logical sense to have her in to tease her show and appearance. Uh, She doesn't have to be green either. Like, yes, we all want Daredevil. But She-Hulk makes so much more sense. What do you think? And sorry, that first tip said one of two when it turned into one of three park. Uh, no problem with that. Um, look, yes, it always makes me laugh. Of the, the lines, the logic lines we as fans draw, including myself, I do this too. I laugh at a lot of the ones that I come up with myself. It's like, wait a minute, that guy in the background's wearing a green shirt. The Hulk is green. That means Hulk is coming into this at some point. Yeah. It's like, wait, Spider-Man's in legal trouble. That means he's going to be a lawyer. Oh, my God. Matt Murdock's a lawyer. That means dare to- I mean, it is it is crazy, the massive logic leaps that we will take for things like that. But, but, but to be fair, Rob, not everybody is thinking Charlie Cox is going to pop up in, you know, soon just because Spider-Man needs a lawyer. I mean, there have been desires and cries for Charlie Cox's Matt Murdock and Daredevil to come into the MCU ever since the Daredevil show ended its run on Netflix, right? This isn't new. And Rob, I've been on record. I've said, I don't think we're going to see him in here. But that doesn't mean I know he's not going to be there. It's possible. Listen, Kevin Feige doesn't like using other people's sloppy seconds. Rob, I was there. I was physically in the room at the MCU Phase 3 announcement at the El Capitan Theater in Hollywood when Kevin Feige was asked about the Netflix shows and and about about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and he totally distanced himself. He said, look, I have nothing to do with those things, blah, blah, blah. But Kevin Feige is also human, and we've said this the whole time, that humans can change their minds. Kevin Feige can change his mind. So I I will sit here and say, I don't believe that he's going to be in it, but I can't tell you he's not going to be in it. So, and again, yes, everybody's saying, oh, he's a lawyer. He needs Spider-Man. Well, people have been wanting him in there long before they knew Peter was going to need a lawyer. Rob, at this point, you think we're going to see Charlie Cox 
show up in... Uh, and by the way, we were just speaking about Henry Cavill. Everybody watch Stardust. If you want to see Superman and Daredevil together in a movie, go watch Stardust. But Rob, do you think we're going to see him pop up? Sure. Why not? I mean, <laughs> I, 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 look, you're dealing with the multiverse here, uh, whatever's going on. I, I wouldn't put anything past anyone. Um, but you know what, John? I would love to see She-Hulk defend Peter Parker. I think that'd be oh, awesome. Be so good. I mean, they're doing the show. Uh, to me, to my mind, if, if at some point he needs legal representation, that what a way to introduce She-Hulk. I oh, love that. It, it makes the most sense. Yeah. Because she's we got the She-Hulk series coming. It just makes the most logical sense. Yeah. So I, I mean, I, I have to say, I, I'd rather see She-Hulk now than Daredevil. Not that I don't I love Daredevil. Um, I love the show, but but <laughs> I think it'd be a lot of fun to see She-Hulk defend Peter Parker. I think that would also be a lot of fun. All right, next up, uh Fidel Reyes writes. John, I went to an AMC last night. Get a load of this. 24 minutes of trailers for a Skyfall releasing screening, for a Skyfall re-release screening, and an average of 28 plus minutes for their usual IMAX screening. Yet the prices went up, and chains wonder why less and less people return to the theaters. Fidel, I listen, I you you are preaching to the choir, brother. I've been saying this for a long, long time, that the movie theaters have to start looking at uh, and by the way, our friend uh, Ben Rayner sends in a super chat badge in live chat and somebody else sent in a super chat badge earlier and I forgot to call it out and now it's off my screen and I can't see it anywhere. But if you guys remember who sent in a super chat before a super chat badge before Ben Rayner did, let me know because I want to give a shout out to them. Anyway, um, you've got to make, you've got to make the movie going experience of the consumer better. You can't tell a consumer, hey, come and see Skyfall or come and see, like for my case, No Time to Die, 7 p.m. Great. So I buy a movie ticket. So I buy my seat, right? I buy my seat. I, I'm not watching it for free. When I watch free stuff, I'm okay watching ads. I'm totally cool with it. But when I buy my seat for 7 o'clock and then you don't, the movie doesn't start till 7.30, that's something wrong with that. There's something wrong with that. And I love movie trailers. I love movie trailers. Hell, I made a movie about movie trailers. <laughs> I made a documentary about movie trailers. But, you know, 20, I like the last movie I went to uh, in theaters, one of the screenings, no, it wasn't, what was the last one I saw in theaters? Anna and I went to go see, it wasn't Shang-Chi. We saw one after that. Which one? I can't remember now off the top of my head, but. Venom? That was a press screening. Oh. Uh, but at any rate, I remember looking down on my watch and it was in an AMC theater and it was 27 minutes of trailers. 27 minutes of trailers. You can't ask people to pay to be there and then show them a half hour of trailers. It's it's just not reasonable. And I love trailers. But Rob, your old favorite theater, the Arclight, they had a rule. Three trailers, movie begins. Bang. And, and I'm even okay with making it Four trailers, maybe even five. But when you start getting into eight, nine, 10, you know, 11, 12 trailers, it's just like by the time, Rob, I lost count of how many times a movie is actually starting. And then I go, wait a minute, which movie am I here to see again? You know, it's it's just one of those things. So uh, I miss that about the arc light. Three trailers, showtime. 
but uh, we'll see. It's it's just too much, Fidel. You're right. It's too much. All right, next up. Uh, Sam uh, Melmstrand, and this will be the last question we do with Rob here because Rob's got, a, got a, an appointment he's got to get to. Hey, John, if Venom is in Spider-Man No Way Home, do you think he'll be friend or foe? Love the show. Bring on the filthy. Well, you know, this has been a question we've been asking for a few weeks ever since Andy Serkis made those comments that he made. But I've heard a lot of people, Rob, theorize that, oh, Venom will be part of the Sinister Six if he's over in Spider-Man. It's like, uh, have you watched Venom? Venom is not joining the Sinister Six. Venom uh, believes he is a hero. He wants to go out there and fight bad guys. That's exactly what he wants to do. He wants to be the lethal protector. He is not joining a Sinister Six. So I don't know. I, I think if we see, if he shows up, and that's a huge if, if he shows up in Spider-Man, I think he's going to be a friend. What do you think, Rob? I I think he's, well, I've talked about it, but I think he's going to, oh, do, do, maybe I talked about it on my show. I think Venom is going to possess Peter Parker. Oh. That's what oh. I think is going to happen. I, I think that that Venom, uh, or at some point, is going to take over Spider-Man for some period of time. All right. Because that's kind of what happened in the comics. Yeah, well, that that's is what happened in the comics, yep. I think that's what's going to happen. In the totally wrong order, but it is what happens in yeah. the comics, yes. Uh, by the way, our friend Benjamin Nutt sends in a Super Chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Benjamin. Appreciate that. Anyway, Rob, I know you've got a couple things you got to handle today, so we know you got to run. Thanks a lot for being here. We'll talk to you a little bit later. But in the meantime, where can people follow you online? Well, you can... If you want to come find me at the Chinese theater tonight, <laughs> you can do that. Uh, but don't say anything to me because I want it to be perfectly quiet. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Burnett RM. Find me on Instagram at Robert Byer Burnett or find me on my own YouTube channel, The Burnett Work. All right, Rob. Thanks a lot for being here, dude. Have a great day. I'll talk to you soon. All right, man. Ladies and gentlemen, the one and the only, the great Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. All right. We still got some time here, guys. So let's keep on rolling here, shall we? We're going to pick things up here with Jose Garcia, who writes, hey, Wanted to clarify my comment about a more mature Spider-Man. I didn't mean a gritty Spider-Man. I meant someone who understands the responsibility and weight of being a hero, sort of uh, like the PS4 version. Being Spider-Man isn't easy, and I felt this version of Spider-Man just treats New York as his playground, and when he messes up, one of the Avengers comes and saves him. Also, me personally, I like Spider-Man to not be funded by a multi-billionaire. I feel it adds an extra layer of struggle when he's poor. He is the friendly neighborhood hero after all, getting by with his intelligence and whatever scrap he can throw together instead of being uh, gifted everything by Daddy Stark. All right, thanks a lot for saying that in, man. And by the way, um, Ergio... I can't pronounce your name, dude. Uh, right, sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, man. Um, listen... It is okay to really like something and also have some nitpicks with it. Like we live in a 10 zero society. If you like something, you're not allowed to dislike anything about it. And if you don't like something, you're not allowed to say anything positive about it. It's okay to really like something and have nitpicks with it. I really like the Tom Holland Spider-Man and I've really enjoyed homecoming and far from home. That said, even though I, I super enjoy it, that's the bottom line. Super enjoy it. But I've had some nitpicks with it. I don't like that they felt they needed to turn him into Iron Man Jr. 
I don't, I, I didn't like the fact that they felt like Spider-Man's not cool enough. You know who the kitty's like? The kitty's like Iron Man. He needs, you can't be a real superhero without a built-in AI heads-up display with multiple weaponry and robotic functions and magic suits. And you can't, you can't be cool without all that kind of stuff. And so they had to give Spider-Man an Iron Man Jr. outfit with his own built-in AI system and targeting computers and, you know, robotic arms. And the, it's like, Spider-Man is one of the coolest superheroes of all time. He does not need this. And you're right. He's always got an Avenger there to save him. He's got unlimited funding for anything that he really wants. Yes. Yes. I, one of the things I would be excited to see in Tom Holland leaving the MCU and Tom Holland Spider-Man going over to Sony, which is what I believe is going to happen. Don't know that. It may not. It absolutely may not. I'm just saying this is my guess. I think it's going to move over. But one of the things that excites me about that is to see Spider-Man actually be Spider-Man again. You know what I mean? To actually see him be the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. The Peter Parker who has to take his own pictures for the Daily Bugle because that's how he pays his rent. Um, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I, I kind of agree with that. Uh, anyway, by the way, Alex's Movie Corner sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Alex. Appreciate that, man. All right, next up. Uh, let's see here. Uh, more spunk rights. Uh, John and Rob, if this is Spidey's exit, uh, what do they do with Mary Jane? Or sorry, it's not Mary Jane. This, yeah, Zendaya is not Mary Jane. She is MJ. She is not Mary Jane. Uh, MJ, Aunt May, Happy, uh, Ned, etc. They can't, they all can't just vanish. Also with Venom in the MCU, uh, is Morbius already there and had Keaton's MCU? Well, we're not going to talk about certain things, but I will say this. Um, if Spidey does exit over into the into the Sony-verse, which is what I think is, is going to happen, I don't believe Ned goes... Sorry, I don't believe Happy goes over. He's too tied to the MCU. But I do believe Jacob Bartolone, who plays Ned. I do believe Zendaya, who plays MJ. I do believe they will go over. And I'm, I, I'm going to guess that Marissa Tomei, who plays Aunt May, I believe she goes over as well. Yeah, so yeah. And you say, well, they can't all just disappear. What are you talking about? We just came out of Infinity War where half the existing planet disappeared. So, yeah, they can have four or five people disappear. Uh, I think they can do that. So I think that's what will happen. Again, I'm just guessing. I don't actually know. I don't actually know. I'm just taking a wild guess here. But my guess is that they will go over. But remember, it's just a guess. All right. Uh, Let's see here. Nick C. writes, Kind of late to the party, but given recent events, I felt like I should ask. We recently received word that Sony would be getting exclusive rights to Marvel's Wolverine and Guardians of the Galaxy for PS5. I feel like this is a big deal. Thoughts? I don't think it's any big deal at all. These media companies draw very distinct lines between the movie division, the gaming, like even television, um, merchandising rights. They're all very, very separate things. Sony doing a Wolverine or Sony getting on their PlayStation platform a Wolverine game is not really significant in any way. Not when it pertains to film. Not when it pertains to film. These are very distinct divisions. These are very distinct lines that they draw between them. I'm not saying it's impossible that there couldn't be some meaning, but I'm saying that these are different divisions that handle these different types of things, and they do make distinctions between them, so I wouldn't read too much into it. I wouldn't read too much into it. All right, next up, we've got uh, Frank, who writes... But I am looking forward to that game, by the way. I'm very much looking forward to that game. Uh, Let's see here. Frank writes, 
We don't know anything right now. When do you think they announce Star Wars 10? And will they continue with Daisy Ridley? I hope so, but not sure that they will. I have. I don't think they're in any rush to get to Star Wars 10. I absolutely believe there is going to be a Star Wars 10. Uh, there's going to be a 10, 11, and 12. I have no doubt about that. But I also don't believe they're in any rush to get there. No rush. I, I don't feel like they, they feel they have to rush on that at all. Now, this is just me speculating, but I. it seems to me that whenever they do getting around to doing Star Wars 10, it will not involve Daisy Ridley. And I, I like Daisy Ridley. I do. But I don't think it will involve the storyline of episodes 7, 8, and 9. Um, I think they will move on from that story. My guess is they'll move to a different era, maybe 50 years later, maybe 100 years later into the future of the Star Wars universe, all that kind of stuff. But I do, listen, and like I said, I say this as somebody who very much appreciated Daisy Ridley. I, I really do. But the reality is this. The Star Wars sequel trilogy, in as much as I believe it gets some absolutely irrational blind hatred from people, uh, because I thought the first one, I thought episode seven, the, the the Force Awakens, I thought that movie was fantastic. I think it's a fantastic, no, nowhere near as good as the original trilogy, don't get me wrong, but that movie was fantastic. Uh, Rogue One, it's not part of the trilogy, of course, but Rogue One, fantastic. Solo, Great space adventure film. I had a lot of fun with Solo. Um, the Last Jedi, I enjoyed. I like, there's there's parts of The Last Jedi I love. Parts of The Last Jedi that I hate. So, but overall, I, I enjoyed The Last Jedi. The Rise of Skywalker, we don't need to, we don't need to talk about The Rise of Skywalker. But the reality is, even though I believe that trilogy gets some irrational, quite frankly, agenda-driven hatred, the reality is it is a it is a series of films that for right or wrong, fair or unfair, it comes now along with a lot of baggage. There's a lot of baggage attached to those three Star Wars films. And if you now move into doing a Star Wars 10, 11, and 12, you are instantly before the first day of shooting you are instantly creating drama and controversy and all the wrong kind of talking about the movies before even the first day of filming what you want to do if you're lucasfilm is to get back to star wars with a clean slate you want to get back to star wars star wars episode 10 new characters, new story in that same universe. Now it's a hundred years later. The, the rise again of the Republic has said, what are the new threats to the universe? What, who are the new heroes? Who are the new adversaries? You know, and you want a clean slate because you want in the months building up to the new films. I guess I take this off now. I hate that line I get in my head when I, after I take off my headphones, um, oh, it'll work itself out. But, if you want in the buildup to your new movies for the talk to be about speculating about the story and 
who's that new hero going to be? And oh, who do we think are going to be, you know, are we going to see Jedi? Are we going to see Sith? If you want people talking about all the right things, you cannot start by bringing over a lot of baggage. And even though there are people like me who really appreciated the character of Rey and, and Daisy Ridley playing it, you got to acknowledge, even if you're a fan, you've got to acknowledge that if you come over and start a new set of films, you're just inviting all the wrong kind of drama. It's not Daisy Ridley's fault or anything like that, but you got to start with a clean slate. So I believe, I believe that they will do a Star Wars 10 at some point and it will be a new set of characters. So that's my belief right now. Uh, by the way, Al Rensha in the, uh, in the live chat asks a really dumb question that I've been asked a billion times. Uh, he writes, so you hate the iron spider from the comics, John? Um, okay. Let's, let's look at that for a second. How many years of Spider-Man has there been in the comics without the, the suit that Tony Stark gives him in the comic books? How many decades did Spider-Man not need an Iron Spider outfit? And yet, in movie one of Spider-Man, once, once we get an actual Spider-Man, boom, he's got it. He can't even be Spider-Man. He was Spider-Man for 50 years without needing that idiotic Oh, I'm little Iron Man Jr. Look, I've got my own built-in AI system and everything. Woo, oh, I've got a kill mode? Wow! Like, 50 years of Spider-Man without needing any of that bullshit. Oh, but first movie, boom. Oh, well, the kiddies don't like Spider-Man. They like Iron Man. He's got to have gizmos, and he's got to have the computers, and he's got to have the built-in talking AI, and he's got to have... All the, he's got to have all this shit. It's like, come on. So don't listen. I don't mind in the long, long history of the comic book characters. I don't mind that they do little things now and then in the comics to try that, to try different things out as momentary and temporary departures. That's fine. But they've built the entire character. Spider-Man, all the only Spider-Man we've had in these movies. And I enjoy these movies. I like Tom Holland's Spider-Man. I don't want to make it sound like I don't enjoy them. I really do. I love them. But my one nitpick is... The only Spider-Man we've ever had in the movies is Iron Man Jr. That's the only Spider-Man we've had. I, I mean, in the MCU movies, I mean, I, obviously Sam Raimi's superior Spider-Man movies did not have that. But I mean, the only thing they could manage to give us in the MCU is Iron Man Jr. That's it. And I remember, I remember people would always say, um, uh, people would always say things like, well, John, you know, he's young. He needs protection. But he has the power of gods. He can lift cars above his head. He has superhuman speed, agility, strength, and magical spider sense that no one's ever really defined. <laughs> the, the magical power of spider. He's got the powers of the gods. I didn't see Tony Stark make Hawkeye an Iron Man suit. Hawkeye's just a mortal man, dude. I didn't see him make Black Widow an Iron Man suit. Anyway, again, it's a small nitpick, but it is a nitpick nonetheless. 
it's it has been a little bother to me that Marvel has seemed to adopt a philosophy that Spider-Man isn't cool. Spider-Man's not good enough. Spider-Man isn't enough. He doesn't make the cut. Spider-Man doesn't have what it takes to be in the MCU. You got to make him Iron Man Jr. for him to be cool enough. And and that, yeah, I wish they didn't take that philosophy. But even with that nitpick, I still love the Tom Holland Spider-Man. I still, I'm overjoyed watching the movies and I cannot wait to see No Way Home, or No Way Home. I cannot wait to see Spider-Man No Way Home. Um, I still can't wait. But yes, I, I am excited about the prospect of them making Spider-Man Spider-Man again instead of Tony Stark Jr., Iron Man Jr., you know, Little Man, Iron Wars. So that's just me. That's just me. All right. Uh, by the way, Donald Thomas sends in a super chat badge in the, in the live chat. Thank you, man. I appreciate that, dude. Um, okay, next up. Uh, cooler than a polar bear's toe writes, Hey, John, Aaron, and Rob. And obviously, none of them, neither of them are here right now. I hope all is well. I've been hearing people complaining about Sony placing their electronics in their films and TV shows. Uh, wouldn't they be stupid not to cross-promote? To half-quote Rob, it's show business. Your thoughts. Listen, I have no problems with... I honestly, as a consumer, as a viewer, I have zero problem with product placement in movies. As long as it's done organically. Right? As long as it's done organically. Like if LG paid... Uh, Warner Brothers a bunch of money to have their monitors pop up in the movie, then if a guy walks into a data center where there are a hundred people at monitors and data entry, like organic, that's what would be there. And they just happen to be all LG monitors. That's totally organic. And that totally works. That I have no problem with. Do product placement out the ass. I have no problem. However, what can be a problem is if you're watching, say, I don't know, a movie discussion show, and the whole show, the host is just doing, mm, yes, let's talk more about James Bond, but one moment as I sip my delicious Sevilla Cola. Mm, yes, let's talk about Fifty Shades of Grey doing a crossover with Morbius. Yes, let's talk about that movie, but first, another sip of my delicious Sevilla. Mm, like that because we've all seen stuff like that in movies right we've all seen that sort of thing in movies where it's like totally not organic what was that one transformers movie where i was it budweiser was that it remember that one transformers one one of the latest ones Whereas like it was one of the ones with Mark Wahlberg in it. And there was that beer that was constantly popping up. Like always there was constantly a beer popping up. Right. I, I, it's just, it's just crazy. There was a Bud Light. It was Bud Light. People are saying it was Bud Light. Yeah, it was Bud Light. <laughs> so, <clears throat> I mean, yeah, that, but otherwise, listen, if Sony's making a movie, and you're in a kid's, you're in a teenage kid's bedroom, and he's got a PS5. That's completely organic, right? It's completely organic. So as long as the films try to put the product placement in, in as much of an organic way as possible, it doesn't bother me at all. And I don't think you should criticize them for that. I honestly don't. I don't see any reason to criticize them for that. But that's just my take. Okay, next up. 
we see uh, Tony Rodriguez writes, have you seen that the official Marvel, Marvel India Instagram posted a pic that we will have five movies in 2022? Uh, starting Doctor Strange, March 22nd, Thor, May 6th, uh, gave Blade a date of October 7th. Yeah, everybody wrote me about that. After Black Panther, July 8th, and before the Marvels, November 11th, going to be a packed year. Yeah, so I had a bunch of people. I don't know if you guys saw this. Um, Marvel's India Instagram posted this image that laid out a bunch of the releases coming in 2022. And the thing that got everybody talking was that they had an October release date, October of 2022 for Blade. Here's the problem. Blade doesn't even start shooting, I think, until the summer of 2022. Like, as far as, they're still working on the script right now. They're still working on the script. So, there was, I mean, unless they are, Unless they have been shooting Blade this whole time secretly, and they've been able to keep it off everybody's radar, which I don't believe is the case, they're not even supposed, they're not ready, they haven't even done pre-production on this movie, let alone shooting it, and they're not going to shoot it until next year, and and there's just no way a Blade movie can be ready for October, so that was, had to clearly been some kind of mistake, it was clearly some kind of mistake, maybe they're looking at October of 2023, and somebody misunderstood and put it in October 2022. I mean, I don't know, but I just don't see any way that could possibly be happening. But yes, a very, very packed year in 2022 for Marvel. Absolutely there is. All right, next up. We've got uh, Big Will writes, Hey, John, I saw Venom 2 this weekend and loved it. I think it's the best post credit scene since Nick Fury and Iron Man talking about the Avengers initiative. Uh, where would you rank this scene as far as post credit scenes go and bring on the filthy? The post credit scene was great. I mean, it's great. We're not going to talk about it, obviously, but the post credit scene was great. I personally, I mean, what happens in the post credit scene is monumental. The scene itself was good. Like, if you want to talk post-credit scenes, I thought Shang-Chi's post-credit scene was way better. Because it's not just about what gets revealed, it's about the scene itself. Is the scene itself really good? And listen, if you haven't seen Shang-Chi by now, then obviously you're not interested in Shang-Chi. So I'm going to give away a bit of a spoiler for the post-credits. I'm giving you a warning right now, spoiler warning, a little bit of a spoiler for the post-credit in Shang-Chi, okay? Okay, great. But yeah, they do the reveal that within the rings, there's some kind of pulse being sent out. Yeah, yeah, okay, that's fine. But the scene itself, the whole setup of, all right, yeah, you're right, we should probably go get some rest. Or, and then you see Wong drunk singing Hotel California at a karaoke bar. Are you kidding me? That was hilarious. That was a great, great scene. So, yeah, I thought the scene, the post-credit scene in um, in Venom was very, very good. But it's really more good just because of what happens, not so much as the quality of the scene itself. You know what I'm saying? So uh, that's why I would still say Shang-Chi's post-credit scene was better. But that's just me. That's just how it all depends on how you, uh, it all depends on how you uh, uh, evaluate it, I suppose. Okay. Uh, Next up, Courtney Hayes writes, Haynes writes, 
Hey, John. Some movie fans have a tendency to root for certain movies to fail. Yeah, we call those people losers. Anyway, uh, at the box office. With so much at stake in this pandemic era, have you seen this sentiment dwindle? Have some fans learned the value of rooting for movies as a whole? Well, I mean, look, first of all, you have to be a special kind of moron, like a real special kind of loser, to root for a movie to fail. To hope a movie doesn't do well. Why? What do, you, what do you get out of that? Like, yeah, there are a lot of movies I don't like and I'm not interested in. And a lot of movies I don't care if they do well or not. But why on earth would you want a movie to fail? Because I don't like a person in it. Oh, curl the fuck up. Yeah, why would you want a movie to fail? I've never got that. Like there's, there are movies that come out all the time that I have no interest in or I, I'm actively avoiding or whatever. But hey, listen, I hope people watch it and like it, right? She says, I don't like a movie or I'm not interested in a movie. It doesn't mean I don't want other people to have a good time and I don't want people to have success and I don't want people to, to be able to, you know, go and enjoy themselves at the movies and blah, blah. I've, I just never understood what on earth is your motivation that you would want a movie to fail. I've never understood that. I've never understood that. It's it's just the the weirdest weirdest mentality. Uh, it, there's a it's a special kind of myopic mentality that it's just tough to get your head around. You know what I mean? So I've never got that. I've I've never got that. Uh, anyway, next up. Um, you know what it is? Here's what it is. It's that same child's mentality that we all have from time to time. Because as children, we have a natural built instinct that thinks to make ourselves look good, we need to make somebody else look bad, right? For me to look good, I have to make somebody else look bad, which is completely wrong thinking. That's, that's, that's why it's the way children think, not adults the way children think, but let's face it, we as adults do it sometimes too, right? We do, but it's a children's mentality. Just because you make somebody look bad doesn't make you look any better. But as children, we have that mentality that we will look better if I make somebody else look bad. I will get more ice cream if that person gets less ice cream, right? Uh, by the way, Raul sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Raul. Appreciate that, man. Um, so we all have that mentality. We all. And, and listen, let's be honest. It it always sneaks into our lives more than the other, right? Like you're at the club and the hot girls walk in, but you're standing beside a really good looking dude who, let's be honest, totally outclasses you. Okay, you pour some pickle juice on him so he smells bad. Thinking, thinking that, well, the girls will think he smells bad, so they'll be more attracted to me. Nah, newsflash. If they weren't going to be attracted to you in the first place, they're still not going to be attracted to you just because the guy next to you smells like pickle juice. Just the thing. As adults, we understand this. But a lot of us in film fandom develop a children's mentality that, well, I like my movie more than their movie. So if their movie fails, people will like my movie more. We saw that so much Fortunately, the 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 DC the the corporate zombie DC slave war against the corporate zombie Marvel slave wars 
that's tempered a lot more. But we saw that a few years ago a lot, right? Like, you just think people saying, yeah, Avengers is going to suck. Because they think if Avengers sucks, people will like their favorite DC movies more. But that's not how it works. Batman versus Superman is going to suck. Because what the Marvel fans thought was that if Batman versus Superman sucks and fails, people will like their Marvel movies more. But that's not how it works. People are going to like or dislike your favorite movies based on their own merits. Whether people are like whether people like or dislike your favorite movie will have nothing to do with whether they enjoyed another movie too. Right? Will have nothing to do with whether or not they enjoyed the other movie too. Nothing to do with it. And it always used to confuse me when I'd watch these MCU fans and these DC fans thinking that if they trash the other one, that will make their side look better. It doesn't. It just makes you all look stupid. I've always said this. The reason I don't personally get involved in shit-slinging contests, because, you know, there have been people who have tried to, to um, what's the word I'm looking for? Tried to bait me into getting into a shit-slinging contest, right? The reason I don't do shit-slinging contests is because, and you can put this on a t-shirt, there is only one outcome of a shit-slinging contest, and that's everybody ends up smelling like shit. When you get involved in a shit-slinging contest, newsflash, there's never a winner. There's never a winner. The only inevitable outcome of a shit-slinging contest is that everybody ends up smelling like shit. That's it. And when you get into these things about like people who cheer for movies to not work because, oh, if I trash on these people, it'd make my thing look better. If you want to go through life thinking like a child, feel free. Hell, I go through life thinking like a child in many ways. <laughs> let's, let's, let's be honest, I totally do. In many ways, I still totally do. But I'm just saying, when it comes to stuff like that, if you think that's the best way of handling your business, if you think that's the best way of handling your life, if you think that that's going to get you ahead in life, if you can tear something else down that you don't like, it's going to make the things you do like look better, good luck, buddy. It ain't going to work. It's not how life works. So that's why I don't. So yeah, listen, there are a lot of movies I don't care about. A lot of movies maybe I even have some problems with, but I don't hope they fail. I don't want other people to not enjoy themselves. And you don't want other people to have a bad time. It's like, hey, look, that's not for me. Like, listen, Star Wars prequels, right? I hate the Star Wars prequels. I hate them. I think they suck. But if you come to me and say you like them, you know what I'm going to tell you? Awesome. I'm glad you had a good time, man. I'm kind of jealous. I wish I liked them, but I didn't. I hated them, <laughs> but that's my problem. If you like them, awesome. Let's celebrate that. Let's celebrate that you enjoyed those movies. If you ever ask me what I think of them, I will tell you why I think they suck. But that doesn't mean I want you to think they suck. If you like them, that's great. But anyway, I just wish, but we, but you're right. We are seeing, um, we are seeing, an improvement in that, I think. I th- I think recently we've been seeing an improvement in that. And I hope, like we've certainly, listen, the, the DC versus Marvel garbage, it's nowhere near as bad as it was a few years ago. It has gotten progressively better. You still, of course, there'll always be rivalry. Of course, there should be. 
but that 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 toxic cancerous corporate zombie DC slave versus corporate zombie Marvel slave nonsense that was really in the thick of it a few years ago. It's not nearly as bad anymore. And I like to think that's because we as an online fandom are evolving and getting better. So I don't know. This is, this is my thought. This is my thought. Good question. Anyway. Okay. Next up. Um, Campia John writes, um, let's see here. Hey, did you read that Eternals is getting a premiere in the Rome Film Festival October 14th or 24th on the 24th? Yes. Uh, so Eternals is going to play at the Rome Film Festival on October 24th. I never believed Eternals would get a festival pre-world premiere in L.A. October 18th because of early spoilers. But this makes sense. Thoughts? Um, I, I honestly don't think it's that big of a deal. I mean, like you said, the premiere is on October 18th. Now, if they were going to be showing it at a film festival prior to the premiere, that would be interesting. But the fact of the matter is, an audience is going to see it on the 18th. I am going to be one of those audience members. I'm excited about it. I'm excited to see the movie. I am. Uh, and I'm going to be there on October 18th. So the fact that they're going to play it at a couple of other festivals after that premiere, it's interesting, but I don't, I don't know if it really tells us a lot. I don't know if it tells us a lot yet, so we'll see. All right. Next up, we've got uh, Jabin Carter who writes, me, Rabbi John, how many times will you watch Shang-Chi? Up to seven times? Oh, there's a little Bible reference for you there. Verily I say unto you, not seven times, but 77 times. And actually, some translations of the original Greek think it's seven times seven but it whatever it is what it is yes i will see it many times now i have seen shang chi seven times in in theaters i haven't gone to see shang chi in theaters in a couple of weeks it's been a little bit since i've seen shang chi i don't know if i'm gonna get a chance to see it again because there's a lot of great movies coming out including james bond no time to die this weekend so i'm not even gonna i don't know if i'm gonna have a chance to see it an eighth time i might have to wait until it comes out on uh, disney plus but we'll see all right next up Doc Holliday writes, Hey, John and Rob. After watching Venom on Sunday with a younger crowd, I checked uh, I checked the upcoming movies. I overheard a couple of them talking about Dune. With this and Venom's blowout hit, it made me think they might show up to see Dune. I mean, look, Rob and I were talking about that a little bit earlier too, right? Like when you look at the momentum of uh, Free Guy and then Shang-Chi, and then Venom, and now No Time to Die, and we see this building momentum of, of the, the movies becoming bigger and bigger and bigger hits as we slowly start to see the theaters getting back to normal again. It could build up a lot of hope for Dune, but again, Dune has this horrible shadow cast over it of day and date release that they're still putting it out on Warner Brothers on the same day, on, on HBO, I should say, on the same day. And that is going to really, really hurt it. I'm not. It's not. I'm not saying it's going to kill it, but it's going to hurt it. It's going to hurt it a lot. I am still sticking for now. I may change my mind later. I think Dune opens to forty to forty-five million dollars. I don't know how it can do much better, given the nature uh, the nature of it being kind of high concept sci-fi, the fact that it's being released on HBO Max on the same day. It's got some big uphill struggles that Free Guy, 
never had to face because Free Guy went was a theatrical exclusive. Shang-Chi was a theatrical exclusive. James Bond No Time to Venom 2, theatrical exclusive. James Bond No Time to Die, theatrical exclusive. Dune doesn't get to enjoy that. Dune doesn't get to enjoy being a theatrical exclusive. It's it's was stabbed in the back by Warner Brothers and being put on HBO Max on the same day. So I don't know. It's going to be very, very interesting to see how it works, but I am going to be cheering for it, man. I'm going to be cheering for it. All right. Let's see. Next up. Um, Kim Chi's roommate. That would be, uh, that would be Jung. Uh, hey, John, a little Kim's convenience reference there. Uh, I have been watching you and the gang for three years and finally decided to watch Kim's Convenience. Awesome. I binged the first season in one day and I loved it. Sadly, though, I hate Terrence. You know what? Terrence will grow on you. Wait till you get into seasons two and three. Terrence, because I was there too, but I'll tell you what, Terrence started to grow on me. He really does. Guys, if you have not watched Kim's Convenience, um... That uh, that's where Simu Lu comes from. That's where Shang-Chi comes from. It's from this great Canadian uh, comedy called Kim's Convenience. If you have not watched this show, you must. It's absolutely hilarious. And it's one of my favorite things on television. Anyway, thanks for checking that out, Kim Chi's roommate. All right, Brad C. writes, Hey, John. Like you, I'm a fan of Stephen Graham. I just wanted to put a show uh, a show with him and Sean Bean on your radar called Time. I've never heard of it. It's only three episodes, but I loved every minute. I believe you can watch it in the U.S. via BritBox. I, I've never even heard of, I'm be honest with you, I've never even heard of BritBox, to be honest with you. But yes, um, uh, Stephen Graham who right now is in Venom 2, and he was in Snatch, like one of my favorite movies of all time. It was really good to see him pop up there. So I have never heard of this show or of BritBox, but I'll keep my eyes open for it. Thanks for putting on my radar, man. All right, uh, just a couple minutes left here, guy. Movie Squid writes, with Dune breaking the $100 million mark, do you think that the chances of a sequel being made have definitely improved? Also, do you think Denis Villeneuve will try and make the whole trilogy if a second movie is made and is a success? Well, okay, look. So I think Discovery, which is taking over Warner Brothers in a few months, I think Discovery will green light the second Dune film no matter what. So there's that. The $100 million that Dune has made overseas, that's got to, you got to put a big asterisk to that because it hasn't come out on HBO Max yet. But once it opens in North America, that's where it really needs to make its money. Is in the North American market. It's the biggest movie market in the world. That's where it's got to make its money. But when it opens up here, it's also going to be against HBO because that's where it's going to be too. So, but again, I think it's going to get another one because I think the people at Discovery are going to green light it too. And look, remember, they don't just want one, two, or three films out of Dune. They want to make an entire franchise out of Dune. They're making a, a sisterhood series. So they're doing TV series. They want to do multiple movies. They want this thing to be a huge franchise. Which begs the question, why have they managed it so badly? But uh, we'll have to see, man. We'll have to see. All right. Glenn writes, <clears throat> one of two. Hi, John. Bob Iger said in his book that he met six Shanghai mayors and made 40 trips over the years before he could open Disneyland. It's a market that takes patience and skill, which Chapek seems to lack when he can't even deal with his own talent. By the end of 2021, when Sony manages to release Venom 2 uh, and Spider-Man 
three in China, not being able to release a single MCU film in China would have to count as one of Chapek's biggest failures and would have cost Disney potentially billions of dollars. Okay, look, you guys know I am not a fan of Disney CEO Bob Chapek. He is no Bob Iger. And actually, there's a brand new article in The Hollywood Reporter that just came out about the drama going on and the big differences between Iger and Chapek. I would have loved to have covered it as a topic today, but I didn't have time to, it just came out this morning and I didn't have time to go through and process the entire article, but you know, we're going to talk about it tomorrow. We're definitely going to talk about it on the show tomorrow. That highlights some of the big differences between the way Chapek does business and Iger does business. So you guys know, I am no fan of Bob Chapek, which is why I'm completely stunned that I'm, that they're still inviting me to like the Eternals premiere, but whatever, I guess that's, that's just a testament to Disney's professionalism. Uh, But yeah, I am no fan of Bob Chapek at all. That being said, the, the issue of Eternals has nothing to do with Bob Chapek. Look, I blame Bob Chapek for a lot, justifiably so. But if we're going to be fair, Bob Chapek didn't make Chloe Zhao. And there's nothing wrong with Chloe Zhao's statements, by the way. But the the stuff that has China upset, and it's not just the governments, the people of China, too, upset with Chloe Zhao had nothing to do with Bob Chapek. That wasn't his fault. Eternals not playing in China. I don't think Bob Iger could have fixed that. To be fair. To be honest, I don't think even even Big Papa Iger himself, I don't think he could have gotten Eternals to play in China. Not with the stuff Chloe Zhao said. I don't think Big Papa Iger himself could have got Shang-Chi playing in China. No, not once the com- Simu Liu's old comments about China came up. And there's nothing wrong with what Simu Liu said, but it created a situation that I don't even think Iger himself could have fixed. Right? I don't think it's a situation that even Big Papa Iger himself could have fixed. So I blame Bob Chapek for a lot of stuff. I don't think Bob Chapek is a good CEO for Disney. I think Bob Chapek is, unless he course corrects, and does a lot of things. I think he is leading Disney down a road to ruin five, 10, 15 years down the road from now. But do I think it's his fault that Eternals and Shang-Chi aren't playing in China? No. I'm more than willing to blame Bob Chapek for a lot of stuff, but I don't think we should blame him for things that aren't actually his fault. Um. So... Uh, no, I, I I don't think, I mean, I, I get your sentiment, Glenn, you know, I'm no fan of Bob Chapek, but let's not blame him for things that aren't actually his fault. And these ones aren't his fault, at least not the way I see them, not the way I see them. All right. Next up, uh, impossible premise rights. I don't know if anyone has asked you already, but has anyone had a chance to check out La Brea yet? I've not heard good things. No, I am interested in watching that show La Brea, but like you said, I haven't had a chance to watch it yet. I, I am, I'm, I'm curious about it. The premise is kind of fun, but I have not had a chance to check it out yet. So, uh, no, I have not. All right, guys, listen, 
There are still more questions to come from people like a spy Admiral Ozel was, uh, Anonymous, uh, Dude Meister, and Rick in Texas and others. Do not worry, guys. We're going to do a companion video a little bit later, and we will get all caught up on all the remaining questions still to come. But for now, that'll do it. For today's installment of the John Campion Show, thank you so much, guys, for being here and making the show part of your day. Remember, guys, uh, we will be back again tomorrow. Make sure you come on back and join us. And a uh, special thank you to all you guys who sent in the live comments and questions. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel as you did it. And to all you guys who sent in the Super Chat badges as well. Appreciate that as well. So, guys, thank you so much for that. See us again tomorrow. My name's John Campion. And until next time, my friends, bye-bye.